Today's reading from the Word of God comes from 1 Corinthians, verse 7 through 17. Sorry, chapter 7, verses 17 through 20. Please follow along in your own Bibles on the screen behind me or listen while I read the scriptures. Once again, that's 1 Corinthians, chapter 7, verses 17 through 20. Following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology. At this time, children are invited to join kids' crew on the door on your right. Hear the word of the Lord. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule that I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. I'm back. You can't get rid of me. Uh, my name is Ethan, one of the pastors here at Anchor Bay. Uh, I'm excited to be here worshiping with all of you. I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving uh, as well, and uh, glad everyone made it back uh, here safe and sound if you traveled or, uh, or here just if you stayed in town as well. Now, before we jump into the sermon like we do every week, let's take a moment to pause and quiet our hearts before the Lord. Ask God to help us set aside any distractions that we may have brought in here with us today and ask the Lord to speak to us. And after a moment of quiet, I'll pray. Lord, thank you for today for a warm building on a chilly day, for a church family that we can worship with. Thank you for your son. Thank you for how you love us. Speak to us today, Lord. We lift this time up to you. In Christ's name, amen. When I was younger... My family lived in a house that had a window seat in the family room, and I remember the first time that one of our good family friends came over to the house. He sat down, and he stretched out a bit, and he let out this deep, satisfied sigh, and he said, now this, this is the life, and he stretched out, and he said, you should have a name for this seat. It's so good. I'm going to call it Mr. Contentment, he said. How can you not just be completely content when you're sitting here. And for some reason, that very silly name stuck. We lived in that house for years, 
Anytime we referred to the seat, we called it Mr. Contentment. Yes, that is me. Look at that hair. No, that is not a demon next to me. That's just our dog who was very dark-haired and did not photograph well. Um, that's me. That's Mr. Contentment. For some reason, that name stuck. Anytime we'd refer to it, we would call it Mr. Contentment. Have you seen the dog? Yeah, he's napping on Mr. Contentment. No shoes on Mr. Contentment. I call dibs on Mr. Contentment. It was a great name, and it was a great seat. And that window seat, for me at least, is a good mental image of how I picture contentment. You know, feet kicked up, warm sunlight on your face, not a care in the world, just completely satisfied, completely content. And as the holiday season has been marching on the past few weeks, I've been thinking about that window seat a lot. You know, on Thanksgiving, we take time to focus on all the things that we are thankful for, all the ways we're abundantly blessed. Thanksgiving is so much about celebrating being content. You know, it's during Thanksgiving, man, we're sitting on Mr. Contentment. How can we not be content? How could we want for anything right now? We have so much to be thankful for. We are so content. And then at midnight on Thanksgiving evening, that atmosphere changes. Black Friday sales start for the Christmas season. People are camping all night long to be the first in line at Best Buy to get the gadgets they want, the new toys they want, or we're setting reminders for, on our phones for all the deals that come up on Cyber Monday. We see people getting trampled or hospitalized during the mad rush as stores open their doors just hours after we talked about the things that we're thankful for. And I love Christmas so much. Christmas is one of my favorite uh, seasons of the year. But even when we're really intentional about reflecting during the Christmas season on the birth of Christ, the beauty of Advent, celebrating the nativity story, we're still surrounded by commercial Christmas, right? There are huge sales the entire month. It feels like every commercial on TV is about finding the perfect gift. The whole atmosphere is kind of about what do I want that I don't already have? What do I want? We are no longer sitting on Mr. Contentment. And I'm not saying that we should stop doing gifts for Christmas, right? Or we should boycott, boycott Target because they have a Black Friday sale. I love Christmas, and it's so fun and special and meaningful to give and receive gifts it's just always struck me as a really radical shift. We go from I am content, what more could I want, to want, want, want. It's a strange duality, right? We are content and yet we also want. And we don't only see this during the Thanksgiving and Christmas seasons. We see this also in our own lives, hopefully with less trampling, though. Because at least in my own Christian life, I've heard a lot of people talk about how we should be content we should be completely satisfied in the Lord. We should be grateful for what we have. And that's true. We should be content. We are called to that all throughout the Bible. We're taught that we should be content in the Lord. We shouldn't be jealous or envious of others. We shouldn't be greedy. We shouldn't want what other people have. We should be content. But over time, if that's all that we hear, be content, be content, be content, we might start to ask the question, so can I not want for things? Can I not want for something? No matter what happens, am I just supposed to say, well, it is what it is. Ain't that just the way? Nothing I can do about it. 
Because I have desires. There are things in this world that I want. Should I not want them? How can I be content? And this is an important question, and often not one that's talked about very much, at least in my own life, very much in the church, other than just be content in the Lord. And so today, let's talk about it. Let's talk about contentment. Let's talk about what it means to be content in the Lord and how that interacts with our very real desires and wants in life. So today, as we continue our sermon series, Elephants in the Church, Hot Topics in the Corinthian Letters, we're going to revisit a passage that we've already talked about a little, because as is so often in the Bible, there are lots of things that you can preach on in just one passage. And as we studied this passage, we found that contentment was a pretty important underlying theme to it. As we've gone throughout this series, we've given a lot of context to what life in Corinth was like. We've talked about how it was a cultural melting pot, how, how there are some pressures on the believers in the Corinthian church, you know, put on them by the society around them. We talked about how hard it was not to conform to the traditional Corinthian way of living. But not only was there this kind of like very big difference in life between the Corinthian society and the Corinthian church, there's also a lot of variety in different circumstances within the Corinthian church as well. I mean, within the church, some people were married and some people were single. Some people were from high social statuses and some were from very low social statuses. Some people were well-educated. Some people weren't educated at all. Some people, or at least traditionally, some people were slaves and some people were free. Some people were Jewish converts to Christianity and some people weren't. The Corinthian church was full of a variety of people and a variety of different circumstances. And it seems like, for some of them, there was a lot of discontentment with the circumstances that they were in. Right before our passage today, Paul spent a lot of time talking to the church about whether or not they should get married, the passage that Kellyanne preached that wonderful sermon on at the beginning of the month. And for a lot of them, they felt this deep need to be married, maybe for the societal status that it would bring, maybe for the companionship that it would bring, maybe for the security that it would bring. But they were discontent in their present circumstances. And right after our passage, Paul speaks to people in the church who are slaves. And slavery in biblical times was very different than more modern American slavery in American history was. In biblical times, people often became slaves in order to pay off debts or as an alternative to a long prison sentence. There was often a time frame on their slavery. But it, but it was still slavery. You know, they were still owned by someone else. It wasn't how God designed humans to exist. It was oppressive. And so people hearing this who were slaves in the church, they most certainly would have wanted to be free, to have their citizenship back, to be an autonomous person again, to be thought of as more than just property. They were discontent, understandably, in their present circumstance. And later on in Corinthians, we see that there is a huge rift between people of a lower socioeconomic status and the higher socioeconomic status. And people in the higher status, they, they, were, they were excluding and leaving out and ignoring people in the lower socioeconomic class, uh, status. And so for a lot of those people in the lower class, they felt the deep longing to belong, to make moves up the social ladder, just to be elevated to being a valued person. There is discontent in their present circumstances. For a lot of people that Paul is talking to in this letter, there is a deep desire for things to change, a change of status or situation or circumstance. There is a deep 
discontentment with what's happening or not happening in their lives. They are frustrated. They are lonely. They are oppressed. They are ostracized. They are not sitting with their feet kicked up on Mr. Contentment. And yet Paul says each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Whatever your situation is, don't be troubled. Keep following God. A little further down, he even goes so far as to say, I would like you to be free of concern. And Paul is talking about a lot here and all throughout Corinthians. But as he addresses these different issues that are coming up in the church, we see this common theme. Whatever situation you're in, be free of concern. Hakuna Matata. Be satisfied where you are. Be content. And this isn't the only time in the Bible that we're told to be content in every circumstance, let alone the only time Paul says to be content. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he says, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Through weaknesses and hardships and calamities, Paul is urging us to be content. And then when Paul is writing to his friend and partner in the gospel, Timothy, he says, of course there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into this world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. When all that we have is food to eat and some clothes on our back and nothing else, Paul is saying, be content." And in Paul's letter to the Philippians, he says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Wow, brag much, Paul? No matter what circumstances we're in, Paul is urging us, be content. Over and over and over throughout the Bible, we hear the same call to be content, be completely satisfied, no matter what's happening in our lives. No matter what we have or don't have, be content. No matter the circumstance, be content. And it just begs the question, what does that even look like? Does being content mean that even though I'm going through hardship or calamity, I should just grin and bear it? That no matter what situation I'm in, no matter what's happening, I can't want for something to change? Can we not have deep desires for things we may not have? Because the reality is we all want things that we may not have. And not just small things or unimportant things, right? What about when we want good things? We want that new job because it'll pay us well enough to start paying rent, take care of our family, to pay off our loans. But they passed on us, hired someone else. Or we want to be married. We want to be known and to know intimately in that way. But we haven't found that person yet or our marriage tragically ended in divorce or death. We want to find friends that care for us and accept us, who we can be ourselves around, but we haven't found that kind of community yet. We want relief from pain or heartache or loss, but it feels like that hurt just won't ever go away. We want to have a child to start a family, but we've suffered infertility or miscarriages. We want to stop injustice in the world to stand up for the marginalized and the oppressed, but it seems that the injustices will never end. We want healing from insecurities and self-doubts that just never seem to go away. I feel like we should be able to want these things, right? These good things. Yet sometimes when we've been disappointed or hurt or let down, maybe we've heard the phrases, you should be grateful. Or look at all the other ways that you're blessed. Or there are people who are much less fortunate than you. You should be thankful. 
is it bad to want those things? Is it bad to look at those things, those good things that we may not have and long for them? Should we just kick our feet up, stretch out on Mr. Contentment, even if there are these deep longings inside of us? Am I not being content then? Is that what Paul is saying? Is that what the Bible is saying? Is that I can't want for things? Last week, Pastor Gina and I, we were chatting about this passage, our passage today, and we were brainstorming a little bit. And for some reason, we kept coming back to the very first verse of the passage. For some reason, it was really sticking out to us. It says, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them, just as God has called them. Everyone should live as a believer in whatever situation. Not just everyone should live in the situation the Lord has assigned to them, but it specifies everyone should live as a believer in whatever situation. Now, that might not seem like a big deal, but that qualifier is actually really important, and it lends itself to a much bigger meaning. Paul isn't simply telling people to put on a brave face, to kick their feet up and pretend everything is okay. Paul is calling them, no matter what, right there in the first verse, to live as a believer. That's the most important thing they can do in their present circumstance. To all the people feeling discontent, live as a believer. Live into their identity as a believer in Christ, believing who He is, what He said, what He did, what He calls us to. Live as a follower of God. And He doesn't actually ever tell them, don't want for any of those things. He says, live as a believer in those circumstances. And once we notice this, we start to notice other things that Paul says to the people in the Corinthian church. In the same breath that Paul reminds the Corinthians to live as a believer in whatever circumstance, he also encourages them to pursue those deep wants in their lives as they do. He tells the people who aren't married that it is okay that they're not and they can be content in that. But if they want to get married, then go get married. He tells the people who are enslaved, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. It's okay if you're in this situation, you can be content in it, but if you can get out of that, do it. Later on in 1 Corinthians, he reminds the church that there should not be that separation of social standing within the church. He encourages those in the social upper class to include those in the lower class in everything, to elevate those who have little, or those who have little up into new lives alongside those who have more. He's saying the situation you're in is not perfect. You can be content in it. But also, let's work together to bring all of us into a deeper and intimate community. Paul, actually, all throughout Corinthians, encourages the Corinthians and the church to continue wanting those good things and even work towards those good things together. Because here's the thing, as believers, we should want those things. We should want connection and intimacy and love and joy and justice, all those good things, because those good things are from God. But it can be very easy for us to start striving after those things first and foremost, to make those things our end goal, to put our faith and satisfaction fully in those things. And when we do that, we can lose sight of Christ even as we pursue good things. That thing can become an idol, the one thing that we want more than anything else. We can start pursuing those things no matter the cost, no matter how we might treat others, no matter what we might neglect, no matter what we might have to give up to get it. 
we might start to lose sight of the people that we're called to love and to minister to, start to put people and things to the side as we pursue this one thing. When we start to strive for these things, all of a sudden our priorities can start to look like that thing above everything else and then Christ second instead of Christ above everything else. And so in the midst of all this wanting and longing, Paul draws their attention back first and foremost to their identity in Christ. Because when we live as a believer and step into that new life that Christ has called us to, we are putting our hope, our faith, our identity in Christ. Not in the world, not in what we might have or achieve, not in our status or job or acceptance or anything else. We look to God to find our worth and our purpose and our satisfaction. And it's as we step into that intimacy of being with God, of living that new life in Christ as a believer, that we can find deep contentment. We find that we are already known intimately, personally, naked and unashamed, that God loves us until the ends of the earth. We find that we have been invited into that expansive intimacy of the family of God. We find that we have a God who sits with us in grief, who weeps alongside us, who mourns death and loss and understands our deepest heartbreaks. We find that we have a God who passionately hates oppression, who overturned tables in the temple when he saw people manipulating and making a profit off the poor and the marginalized, a God who promised in Luke 4 that he came to set the oppressed free, who promises to end injustice forever. We find that we have a God who calls out our insecurities and self-doubts as lies and tells us the truth, that he loves us, that God made us, calls us children of God who delights in us. We went to the cross because of his deep love for us. In whatever circumstances we're in, we can be content because no matter what may change in the world, God will never change. And we can be content in who God is. As believers, we live in this strange combination of the already, not yet. Christ has already defeated sin and death and shame once and for all, inviting us into new life with him. And yet we also eagerly await Christ's return when all will be made right in the world where there will be no more pain or loneliness or loss or injustice. As believers, we can have this holy discontentment when we see or experience broken hearts or loneliness or injustice or struggles or death or broken relationships and oppression or pain because those things are not how God created the world to be. And we can long for those things to be eradicated both in the world and in our own lives. But while we wait and while we want for those good things, we have the promise of who God is. And who God is is a God who created us and called us good a God whose steadfast and abounding love is here for us without question. A God who loved us enough to go to the cross and rise again to reconcile us back to him. So we can want to be married, and while we want that, we can be content in knowing that we're intimately known by God. We can want to find deep friendships and community, and while we try to find and cultivate that, we can take uh, comfort in the fact that Christ is our deepest ally and friend. We can want relief from pain or heartbreak or loss. And while that may take time to heal, we can be content knowing that Christ is with us in it and will never leave us. We can want justice in the world. And while we personally say yes to the ways that Christ calls us to personally stand against injustice, we can be content knowing that Christ passionately and eternally works against injustice. 
We can want to heal from insecurities and self-doubt. While that may take time to heal, we can be content in the assurance that we have God's deep, personal, never-ending love for us. Because all of these good things that we may want cannot be satisfied, or all of our wants cannot be satisfied by those alone. Instead, they actually point us towards God who is infinitely good and the creator of these good things. Christian author C.S. Lewis put it this way, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to, be, never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it and to suggest the real thing. We can want these good things and also be content because our contentment doesn't come from what we may or may not have. Instead, it comes from stepping into the intimacy of new life with God and with the church and finding contentment in that. We can put our hope and our trust and our faith in the reality of who God is, and we can be content in the knowledge that no matter what else we may want and wait for, we will never be in want of God. God never withholds himself from us. And friends, when we find these deep longings within us, we can use that longing to reflect on what we already have in Christ that we can be grateful for. In those moments where we are feeling discontent, we can remember the ways that Christ is meeting us right there in that longing where we are. Not to dismiss the things that we rightfully long for, but as a reminder of what we already have now and will always have in Christ. So as we leave here today, friends, I encourage us all, let's prayerfully consider whether we feel content today. I know the holidays can be a hard time for a lot of people. Maybe the holidays bring up painful memories of a loved one that we've lost, or relationships that have ended, or just hard discussions with our families. And as we go through some of the hot topics in Corinthian letters, we can, I mean, that can bring up frustrations or hurts or difficult conversations. Sometimes it can be hard to feel content in the midst of all those things. So this week, I encourage you all Set time aside to prayerfully consider the ways that you may be discontent in your life. What are things that you may be wanting or waiting or longing for? And as we start to recognize those things, let's all pray together that we might find contentment in God while we wait and want for them. Because whatever those things might be, relationships or relief or change, let's prayerfully ask the Lord to show us, to remind us that He is with us in those things that he hears us, that he loves us, and that we can be content in that. Let's pray. Lord, what a gift it is to have you as a Savior. What a gift it is to know you and to be known by you. What a gift it is that morning, noon, and night we can cry out and you hear us. In the joys and in the pains in the satisfaction and in the longings. You hear us, Lord. Lord, I pray that as we leave here today, you will remind us, each of us, that you remember us, that you love us, and that no matter what we may want for, we will never be in want of you. 
in the midst of busyness and the busyness of these holiday seasons and work and life and school and all these things, Lord, I pray that we will feel your presence in new and unique ways. We love you, Lord. We put our faith and hope in you. And pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.